Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Maybe you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do our post-game uh, weekly live shows. We're not going to do one this week because well, there's not a game, so we're going to take the Saturday off and like not scream at the TV for three hours, which will be fun. But we'll be back next week with a Kansas post-game. You can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. While you're on our social media sites, remember, you can enter to win a free Signed copy of Sam Acho's book, Let the World See You, by retweeting and liking the pin tweet at the top of our profile and also sharing and liking that Facebook post on our Facebook page. So we'd love to have you as part of that raffle. Uh, we'll have a couple more weeks before that ends. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's offering free mental health services for anybody who's still not cool with Shaka Smart having hair, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> uh, it's Samsonite. It is Samson, not Samsonite. Um, I was way off. Samson-ish. I was way off. Uh, that's that's a, a biblical and dumb and dumber illusion I just melded on accident. Um, but uh, no, uh, it, I, I am predicting the Shaka hair is the source of his strength. He's been saving it, shaving it since seventh grade, and he's been okay. Um, so just imagine now that his true source of strength uh, is in full uh, full throw. Um, it, I don't think anyone can stop Texas. You heard it here, folks. Our entire basketball prediction just hinges right here. If Shaka keeps his hair all year, Texas goes undefeated national championship, obviously. It was seventh grade when Shaka mm. made the conscious decision. <laughs> not not start maybe he started creeping a little bit back into made a rash decision at, at we were all, you know, not great at twelve, thirteen years old, right? But like there are people that have known Shaka for decades that just assumed the man was bald. <laughs> We've only known him for about, what, five years now? Six years. Now we all uh, we all just assumed he was bald, but no. Shaka has hair. Shaka can grow hair. Having GB3 on campus was hair-raising for him, even perhaps. <laughs> but all of that basketball talk is because we are taking advantage of the bye week to drop in a men's basketball preview. Texas preseason ranked number 22 
in the country. They finished the the regular season or yeah, the regular season 19 and 12 last year, third in the Big 12. They were literally warming up to play in the Big 12 tournament when the entire sporting world shut down because of COVID-19. So, uh, we didn't get to see how that season shook out, but uh, Texas was looking to close a season strong. They, they struggled early on last season and then managed to kind of, due to injuries, um, they, they seemed to kind of rally around and, and pick things up toward the end of the season and, and went on a five-game win streak in conference that really allowed them to, one, solidify that they maybe weren't as bad as we all thought they were, but two, seemingly... Plus, you know, the COVID cancellation uh, saved Shaka Smart's job. So coming back this year, Texas has everybody returning. Um, This is the most talented, most experienced, and deepest team Shaka Smart has had in his time on the 40 acres. So uh, with all that being said, this seems like the, like, the go or get off the pot year for Shaka Smart and the Texas Longhorns. So as we look at this, Kyle, really, I think we have to start with the head man who, much like I think Tom Herman at the start of the season, there's some there's some warmth, but it's not on fire yet. But but there's some pressure on Shaka to get it done sooner rather than later. Yeah, COVID could end up saving his job twice. You know, uh, it could end up saving his job for the, his best coaching performance yet. Um, Texas, we saw it right. They came out in uh, the preseason AP rankings at number, number 19, I believe. And, and, and there's, there's some folks who say, Oh, come on, Texas. I've been burnt before. I've been hurt before. Um, and there's others who, who are, you know, pretty clued in basketball heads, analysts around the country, non-Texas media, though, if you ask an Aggie, obviously all media is Texas media, um, who are saying that if it isn't Texas, if you blind, uh, you know, stats to that roster, just looked at the depth, the returning amount of starts, um, minutes looked at everything that says, you know, Texas is actually getting pushed down from where that team should be by all historical metric that this, this could be a top, you know, put, throw them at number 10. Um, and, and, and people would feel pretty comfortable with that. So, um, I think that speaks to Shaka, right? I think it speaks to people not seeing his production at Texas and having talent. Um, he was ranked at one point last season, but only for one total week got ranked, lost, Fell out of the rankings, never ranked again, right? Um, has been ranked before. He has won a national invitational tournament during his time. But again, the, the that's the joke about Texas basketball. So we're joking about NIT. This is a team with Sweet 16 talent. And so... Um, where they where they go this year, uh, obviously we'll talk about it on this podcast and, and the players and, and what has to happen, the execution, luck going your way, different things. But ultimately at the end of the day, this is one of those things where, you know, a good coach makes a team 10% better and, and a bad coach maybe makes a team 50% worse. And, and which one of those is Shocker, right? Is he going to maximize the talent and show that he is a good coach? He's just had some horrendous luck. Um, or, or, you know, is he going to have issues with maximizing uh, the depth and the roster talent. And, and if that's the case, that seat certainly gets warmer. Like, and, and I'm, I don't just mean warmer, scalding hot. I think expectations are very high for this season. COVID um, obviously makes things different financially. The whole, we get that, but all those things aside, uh, if they don't produce this year, that seat is on fire. And I like that you mentioned this. There's been some really terrible luck for Shaka Smart, right? Like Andrew Jones, your lottery pick ends up with, leukemia right like you don't predict that there's there's no way and that team wasn't as bad as they should have been losing the NBA lottery pick for basically a season and a half Mm -hmm. 
right? And so the the injury luck, the just the weird breaks that have happened for Shaka. If there was a if there was a luck metric we could pull up, I feel like Shaka would be one in the bottom of the of the active NCAA coaches. And I think we also have to say that I think Shaka, I think underestimated or misestimated what was in the cupboard and how he would be able to get it done with the guards that were there and the guards that he's had. And I think that the, again, when you, when you lose key players and you have those types of things happen, um, Shaka kind of has had to change his identity, right? He came in and was the havoc guy. He came in and he was, that was his identity. And people knock him for not doing that. But I think he quickly realized, or maybe not as quickly as some wanted to, that that maybe wasn't going to get it done week in and week out in a conference like the Big 12. And so you, you've got a guy who's known for one thing his entire career, gets the job based off this one thing. It's not working. It continues to not work. He makes an adjustment. And I think when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to how you build your staff, how it comes to even your just flat-out philosophy, like it's hard to turn a cruise ship. And Texas basketball is in Texas football, but it's still a pretty big, pretty big boat to turn. And so I think Shaka is finally hopefully got the crew on the ship to keep that metaphor going to to finally get this thing turned around or at least he should uh because like we said this is the deepest team he's had the most experienced team he's had and he's got the blue chippers in the the corral to really get and keep this thing going if he's the coach that we all think he can't be yeah and look he got 20 wins with rick barnes players his first year went out in the first round of the ncaa tournament they said okay eh, he can do better and then that next year had an aberration an 11 wins season 11 and 22 uh last in the big 12 i mean that was bad that's when the whoa wait a minute what happened here he recovered and he's won 19 21 in 19 games but but that 20 kind of win standard is the baseline that's what got rick barnes ran out of town shaka was brought in to take texas to the next level everyone in anywhere near American basketball, not just NCAA basketball, knows that Shaka Smart is one of the brightest minds. That's why he coaches youth teams for the USA setup, right? He's an incredible recruiter because he knows a lot of these young kids. Um, he, he's an incredible human being, but th- something hasn't clicked, right? And and so that next level, you give him some credit for, for roster building, right? To getting to this point where you have the depth. You, of course, get the one and done to the five stars, but you have to recruit and build up your classes and kind of get it. And, and this is where it's, oh, these are his guys. This is fully him. You know, like there isn't, there's no more excuse um, at, at this point, right? There's there's nothing nothing really left. Um, an NCAA tournament berth is not enough, right? I think there is a higher standard for the Texas basketball team. Like, at least where Rick Barnes was is the minimum. Now, you know, get back to there and then and then go above it. And again, he has a chance this year with this this roster, and we'll, we'll jump into that, um, to, to do all that in one fell swoop. And, and just, sorry, real quick, before we do go to the roster, Coaching notes, um, of course, we are replacing um, Luke Yaklitz, kind of the defensive coordinator who only was here one year before taking a head coaching job with KT Turner, who seems to be very beloved by all the people who've coached with him. We'll see uh, what he brings. Um, and then obviously replacing Jai Lucas, um, who uh, I think Jay had uh, – he's gone to Kentucky. He had a different role there versus what he had here. I think he's off the court um, not coaching there, doing more recruiting. Here he was coaching in this last year as well as recruiting. Um, but Cody uh, Hat was internally promoted to fill his spot. And then, of course, Neil Barry uh, is in his third season coming in from Iowa State, kind of has been the offensive uh, coordinator, if you will. I don't know that the coordinator roles will be quite as defined with these two coaches. I'm curious to see how that breaks out. But the the, the, the staff is much smaller in basketball than it is in the other, um, or at least in comparative football. Um, and so 
it's visible, right? You could see what the coaches are doing and the impact you're having because you don't you don't have as, as robust of a staff. When we look at what the coaches are doing, we got we got to take a look at uh, development. That D word that that basketball and football have both seemingly struggled with. As Texas sees, you know, one and done guys that don't do a ton at Texas and then end up in the NBA. But um, Texas brings back, we've said it before, we've said it again, everybody from last year. Um, of the 12 returning scholarship players, 11 started a game last year. So, and some of that was due to injury, some of that was just due to rotation, right? But when you look at Texas and when you look at the experience and, and the people they bring back, like this is a team that I think. And, and you mentioned it. I think this is a team that has the opportunity. If it if it if it wasn't a burn orange jersey, right? If there wasn't that Longhorn on the front, I think people would feel differently about this group because of the experience they bring back. They'd be if the, if if Kansas had this kind of group, they would be the unanimous number one pick, right? Like I think that would be a fairly uh, safe expectation for Kansas. And so. Um, to me, we have to look at what the, the players that are coming back can do and, and the new additions and guys that are going to be able to crack that starting lineup. I, don't, I want fans to understand this. They are bringing back 99.99% of their minutes. There are six minutes played by a walk-on in garbage time of a blowout last year that aren't coming back. That's unheard of. That's not just unheard of in Texas. That's unheard of. If you just take like key non-garbage time possession minutes, there's only four teams in the country that bring back more than 95% of their minutes last year. Again, zero uh, bring back 100. Texas brings back 100 non-garbage minutes, 100. Um, I, I didn't do the research. I couldn't really find a way to, to look that up historically, but that has to be in a handful of times that there, that any team has, has brought back literally 100%. No one's transferring in this day and age. No one is is you know graduating. No one is opting out. No one. Th- this is one of those we're building for next year teams. This is the year, right? 100% coming back. And then we'll, we'll talk about what you even add in on top of that. But just want to stress that for folks listening. It is. They are the exception in the entire country of how much. They- yeah. So let's let's look at what they bring back in, in a potential starting five. I think that's a good way to go about this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, your your senior leader Matt Coleman is a guy who they they talk year in and year out about will Matt turn the corner and really truly be that vocal leader that they're going to, that they're going to have uh, the other guard, Courtney Ramey coming back as a junior. He's that the bar fight guy is probably the right way to say it. <laughs> like when you, when you're looking for somebody, it's like, Hey, I need somebody to swing a chair and then we're going to, we're going to get this thing popping. He's probably the guy. Uh, normally we'd probably see Jace Fabress in that first forward spot, but he is uh, coming back from an injury. So it looks like probably Andrew Jones will slot into that spot um, while he, while he mends, he's expected to be back, but uh, we don't know really what the timetable is. It's, it's um, a microfracture knee surgery. So uh, for breast slash Jones, um, Jericho Sims, who he did, he looked like he spent a lot of time with uh, with Coach Hootie this offseason. Mm-hmm. Those uh, those arms look pretty sculpted. He is an athletic freak and could uh, potentially be a, a really big deal for Texas. And then the man, the myth. The Twitter legend himself, GB3, Greg Brown, the five-star uh, player that was um, – had a Jai Lucas's last hurrah as a recruiter at Texas, uh, getting this guy inked in the burnt orange. Um, that looks to be potential starting five for Texas as they, again, try to, try to build on a, a solid close to last year. Yeah, absolutely. And out of those guys, I mean, I think you start talking about the Texas team this year like you have the past couple years. Matt Coleman, I think – this team goes as far as he goes because when you have 
that many you know guys who can do some things you need someone to kind of to helm the ship and i think he is going to be um he, he's gonna gonna lead that offense he's gonna be the, the focal kind of spearhead of the defense as well um he, he's an iron man right he, he had a 96 game starting streak come to an end last year he missed one and then started the, the last five of the season after that so he's played 101 of 102 potential games and started all of those the man has been the Texas point guard. Shaka, Shaka Smart started recruiting him in eighth grade. He's basically been Shaka's ideal point guard for, for the majority of his, his not even adult, just his life. Um, and, and here it is, senior year. I think there was a little bit of a hope last year um, that both of the returning you know guards in, in Ramey and Coleman would take the, the, the step up. But I think Coleman did some things, right? He, he was our leading scorer, leader in assist, and leader in three-point percentage, which was a big step up for him. So if he can keep all of those things steady, if he can really work on, I think the biggest thing is that assist-to-turnover ratio, get a couple more assists, get a few less turnovers, um, and get that ratio up a little better. It was around 148. It really dipped in Big 12 play uh, last year, around one, one one-to-one assist-to-turnover, which is very bad. Uh, uh, He's been closer to two for his career. If he can get back to two, if he can get over two, right, for, for, you know, for just level setting Don't the the NCAA record is five something so it's not like come on we're, we're you know we're, we're not asking for too too much but um, if he can get that that back up then I then I really think again with his like consistency with his ability to always be there with his ability to run the offense initiate the offense but not have to be the only ball handler because we're going to talk about Texas has lots of guys who can initiate the the offense this year but also be the guy who's you know ready to get back and lead the defense if he can do that and even though he's not the 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 vocal leader i think shaka once described him as you know he needs more salt than sugar uh in the way that he he gets on the court is uh he's sweet and he's nice and he's a good guy he's lovable um he's not always the fiery guy we'll talk about who that might be but um still that that kind of silent leader players watch him and step up to where he's at uh if he can take you know a step further and 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 truly compete as one of the best guards in the big 12 which is loaded this year with guard play um then then you know that that is indicative of texas success so i look at matt matt coleman first and foremost uh of any player on the roster yeah and and shaka has said it himself on numerous occasions that with matt coleman on the roster this team is going to go as far as matt coleman takes them and, and that has been his rallying cry for two or three seasons now, where, where as Matt Coleman is fully kind of stepping into that leadership, that point guard role, he's said it before and he'll say it again, this team is going to be as good as Matt Coleman can lead them to be. And, and he's kind of got a running mate, and, and I, lo- I love the dynamic that, that he and Courtney Ramey have on the court because you see Coleman is ca- Coleman is at least kind of or tries to be your um, your cornerstone kind of your firm um, not a whole lot of not I won't say not a whole lot of emotion but he's not um, he's not going to be the outward screaming fire guy show my heart underneath my my jersey guy um, but then you get to Courtney Ramey mm-hmm. and Courtney Ramey can be that guy for Texas and I think um, the the fire the a song of ice and fire maybe in Texas's <laughs> backcourt uh, is the way to, to 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 play these two and I think guard play gets it done right and so I think with this pair Texas is going to go as far as these two upperclassmen can be right four of your five starting five are upperclassmen and both of your your starting guards are a junior and a senior right so like Texas has it where it needs to have it so can Courtney Ramey continue to be like there were games where you have we talked about it last year we have good Ramey and bad Ramey Mm -hmm. and let's shift that ratio because you're not gonna be on every night 
you cannot you cannot be the end all be all. There's 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 one LeBron James, right? But like, can we get a two to one bad Courtney to good Courtney ratio? Right? You're not going to be on every night, but can we can we get more good Courtney games or less games where Courtney kind of just is the liability on the team more so um, than the asset. Yeah, absolutely. And even does it become Sam Raimi? No, I'll leave that for your other podcast. Um, to me, so Raimi was, was in, in double digits. I mean, we had Coleman, Raimi, and, and Jones all in, in, in double digit scoring last year. And, and Raimi was just at about 11 points a game. But the, the, the kind of key metric for me is can he get to 15? They were 6-1 and one in the seven games. He, he scored 15 points. So when he is being that second initiator of offense, um, and, and especially when he's aggressive. He and Coleman, um, both, when they are aggressive, when they are attacking the rim, talk about that a little bit from a team perspective of, of they have to get to the rim. They, they were one of the worst in the country in, in free throw you know percentage and, and creating free throw opportunities last year. Um, but when they did it, they had success. Ramey is the epitome of a combo guard. He, he's, he's defensive. He's, he's, he's becoming a, you know, a, a better shooter from outside. He has a mid-range game, and he can get to the rim, but he doesn't always you know, maybe trust the ball handling or initiate the offense in order to do it. Um, but seeing him take that step up is what I will really be looking for him. Attack, 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 um, and, and continue to, to leave the entire heart on your sleeve and out there on the court. So as we move on, um, we do have to talk about Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones, I think, is um, – and I think you put it really well in our show notes. Andrew Jones is kind of the X factor. The He, he will start to start the season, but will probably be that spark off the bench. Um, if you could start six guys, Andrew Jones would be the sixth starter is the best way to say it, right? It was kind of like when James Harden came off the bench in Oklahoma City and most other teams he's a starter, but he's – just coming off the bench because of the other guys that, that play the role. But um, Andrew Jones, what a comeback story for, yeah. for Jones and what a, what a just incredible uh, journey he's had. You know, you go from being concerned he's never going to get to play basketball again because of the, the leukemia and that, that situation to now, you know, he's, he's got the, the, opportunity he's kind of changed his game and shifted his game and kind of reshaped what he does as a as an athlete and I think he's he's been better for it uh in the last couple of years so I think we're going to see that rise continue as he as he continues to shift and change um how he approaches the game of basketball and what he is trying to do on the court yeah and I mean he he like you said he reshaped his body he looks entirely different than he did before the sickness than obviously going through it when he just looked slim. He he looks like, I mean, again, we, we have to keep giving credit to stealing Kansas' strength and conditioning coach and bringing to Texas because some of these players just look bigger, more muscle. Like, like they just look like they're ready to play, you know, a full NBA season and, and take a beating. And, and hey, if that means that, again, Jones, who's always been athletic and dynamic, but really um, as he transform his game and became a, a an incredible shooter was was um one, one of the probably two or three best three-point shooters on the team last year but became a, a better shooter and keeps that dynamic dynamicism but as he puts the the muscle and weight on his body if he's able to do that man that's that that is exciting and, and if you look at um kind of the that we talked about it a little bit in, in the lead-in but the the five-game win streak that really defined texas this season they were down and out they lost them they shouldn't they were a pitiful like Big 12 record. Shaka was for sure being fired. Many players were injured. Um, there was a point when Andrew Jones put the team on his back and he had uh, 21, 22, and 22 in consecutive or three out of four nights, um, basically just going out and scoring in all of those wins, right? He, he's, he's a guy who 
who, when he scores, everyone feeds off it and the team just goes forward. Um, I gave the Ramey stat of scoring 15. Um, you know, Andrew Jones score, scoring 20. He did it six times last year. Uh, and, and you know, every time they did that, Texas looked, uh, looked good. So for me, keeping the three-point percentage, you know, around 38, 39, heck, get it to 40%, and being able to get to the rim and create easy points with free throws and, and hitting your free throws when you get there for Jones will be a lot because, you know, when Febris comes back, we'll see if Shaka goes back to his rotation of starting him or if they're going to go the, the pure three uh, ball handlers uh, on the court at the same time. But I think there's a good chance he's the Manu Ginobili or like you said, the James Harden, the guy who's leading and, and handling the ball for the second unit. So the ball's going to be in his hands a lot, no matter if he's got the other starters with him or especially if he's if he's facilitating for the second unit. And so him developing that full game and again, going back to his his roots that made him a McDonald's All-American, uh, attack, attack, just like, just like Ramey, Get to the rim. I want to see some highlight dunks from from uh, from from our boy uh, Andrew Jones this year. So um, seeing that full game, I think is 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 where Texas starts to look like a, a Sweet Sixteen team. I love me some Jace Fabres. Mm. I really do. Absolutely, he um, has some work to do in his his his, his shooting and his. Uh, he consistency standpoint because you, again you've got we we talked about it where you got games where Jace will shoot you in it and Jace sure. will shoot you out of it sure. and so I think um tur- turning in consistent I, it's hard to improve from basically you know 40 percent from three point right thirty seven percent but like can you give a, can you give us forty a night or is it a sixty percent one night and a twenty percent the other right. night and that's really what I want to see from Jace Fabrest this year he again is coming back from a, from a microfracture knee surgery so uh, he will. Again, be on the men and, and will join the team at some point this season. That's a little bit of a shortened season due to COVID, but uh, we hope to see him back in burnt orange soon. Yeah, for sure. And, and a guy who looked like, you know, a shooter when he first got in campus, he could give you 37%. You knew what you were getting. Um, he played some defense. His defense, you know, being good is a great thing and it helps shore up um, either unit, whether it's the first or the second. Um, but last year, what I saw before the injury from him was the ability that he added the wrinkle to his game of being able to catch uh, a ball on the three-point line, pump fake, and attack. And again, you maybe you're picking up a theme here where I say this team needs to attack, 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 attack. Um, Febra's having that other wrinkle. I like it. Like, keep him as a shooter for sure. Like, don't, don't you know, sacrifice that. Um, but just adding one more wrinkle, I think, gets him on the court even more. And again, a, a, a pretty... Um, a pretty loaded rotation, uh, I think, in that in that kind of uh, guard forward, the two, three, four uh, spot. But I, I do think he, as he comes back, will play a, a, a huge role for for this team, just because you know he's a knockdown shooter. At the end of games, you're going to have him in there because he could play defense, guard a couple positions, and you can guarantee that you're right. He may not hit sixty every game, but he gives you your best chance. With the, if you have you know two, three guys that you want taking threes at the end of the game, he's one of those guys. Absolutely. So moving, moving down court, moving to the big men, GB three coming in as one of the top players in the country continues to at least impress on the social media scene. He's mm-hmm. the one that broke shock smart having hair, um, <laughs> which was great to see, uh, you know, top 10 prospect McDonald's all American. He's a guy who, uh, I think comes in and can be an immediate impact player an immediate impact, uh, difference maker for Texas. He's big, he's athletic, he's rangy. Um, he could even like, he, 
the game of basketball has changed so much where like your your six eight six nine guys are also like shooting from the elbow and mm-hmm. shooting from the corners, mm-hmm. which is something that he he can add to it as well. Which is just again, I think back to like the basketball you and I grew up where you Tim Tim Duncan took one jumper I think in his entire career that I remember <laughs> from from farther than about four feet, uh, and it was in the playoffs and we all lost our minds. Yeah. So so seeing Greg Brown coming in and kind of filling that four spot. Um, is something that I think Texas needs. It's something that I think can be a differentiator and, and a game changer for Texas uh, as as the big man comes on campus. And stop me, listeners, if you've heard this before, but his ability to ta- attack the rim is fantastic. He brings <laughs> unbelievable athleticism, um, probably just instantly slots in as the most athletic guy in the team. Look, Greg Brown, again, Kids you talk... call it bounce. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, more bounce to the ounce. He's, 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 uh, you know, I want to see him get a little more muscle, but he's starting. He's starting to look good, starting to fill out a little there since he's been on campus. But, uh, yeah, he just, he, he is, he is, uh, He's he's shifty, he's wiry, he's electric. There's a reason a lot of the comparisons when when they looked who to compare him to is Kevin Durant. I don't think he's quite as good of an outside shooter as Durant. I think to to compare the two to say a guy with long arms who's a little bit wiry who can get to the rim and can shoot is a fine comparison to say he's you know Kevin Durant is an unbelievable thing to put on a person. Uh, but look, his mom played uh, I believe volleyball. Uh, at, at Texas. His dad played football at Texas. He had an uncle play at Texas. The kid has Texas in his blood. We love those players, even though he's probably almost certainly a one and done. I've seen rankings where he is already projecting as like a 10 to 15 in the NBA draft next year. Um, you know, they're, they're already looking at him with that level of talent. People have him anywhere from top 20 you know, ish to top 40 ish players in the country, all teams considered, and no one has seen him play, but he averaged 26 easy in high school just made it look easy he could do whatever he wanted he blocked shots he grabbed rebounds all day he got to the paint and you know the thing that's like Durant it looked like two steps from half court to the rim just could get there with ease and floated through the court so how that translates look we talked about Will Baker five-star kid we'll, we'll not talk a ton about him but a little bit in this preview five-star we're gonna see him he's gonna you know we knew there'd be a bit more transition for his game but the three-point shooting all of a sudden fell off as he got to college that can happen to kids so you know i want to see not only the athleticism from 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 gb3 mr brown but i do want to see him establish that shot the mid-range uh as well as the three-point and again if you have that that four who can stretch out um and, and and shoot it with the other guards we just talked about all of a sudden texas goes from being you know one of the slowest units that just trudges through offense gonna beat you with defense um isn't getting out on the break enough to like just transforming it right you have you know, guys all over the court who can dunk the ball, run on fast breaks, or pull up and shoot threes, and it becomes a, a potentially, again, not to pump too much sunshine or be too optimistic, but a, a potentially dangerous unit going from an average to a plus on the offensive side. You don't know what the young guy's going to do when he makes the jump, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's a different level of competition. Um, he's just one of those dudes where you see him and he's different, right? Just there's He's different when you watch him uh, and the way that he's acclimated to the team. So to put a close on the the starting five or potential starting five, Jericho Sims, the big man down low, 6'10", senior, um, kind of a physical and athletic and just overall freak. And so it's, it's hard to, um, you know, Again, when when Jericho Sims turns it on, I don't know if there are, are a ton of players in the conference that can that can be with him. Like the athleticism and the length and, and what he just does down low, um, the rebounding, the blocking, putting a body on somebody, using his length. Like 
he is a, he's able to be um, a differentiated, a massive game changer for Texas. He took on one of the top talents last year against Kansas and all of a sudden looked like himself a lottery pick. Averaged 18 and a half, seven and a half rebounds and one and a half blocks against, again, one of the best big men in the country. He seemed to be up for it. Um, and then in the two games immediately follow following playing number one Kansas, he had two and a half points, three rebounds, and zero blocks in those two games. So it's a matter of can he get up for every game? And it's funny to ask can Jericho Sims get up because there aren't – I don't think there is another player. And I, and I say that without any Texas bias. Again, that's pretty well sourced for, for basketball folks around the country with as much spring in his legs and ability to quickly and explosively get up, to jump and be 12 feet in the air, you know, uh, eyebrows above the upper square on the uh, on the backboard. Like, the, the man has, you know, absolutely you know, elastic springs for legs. He, he can just, he could just get up. Um, I think he might benefit the most from the type of player that Greg Brown is. And, and I really like, that's why we we're predict, you know, projecting that, that Greg Brown will come in as a starter because it really allows him to do those things. Texas, their, their most efficient, effective offense under Shaka was probably when they went Jackson Haynes as a rim runner, pick and lob, and just let him take alley-oops, and all of a sudden their offense was more productive because it's really easy to make shots when you catch the ball right above the, the rim and you just have to either dunk it or tap it in. There, there could be some of that. And, and again, putting four people, if Brown can, can be the shooter we want him to be on the perimeter to spread them out, and then letting three different people initiate pick and rolls with, uh, with Jericho Sims, or maybe four. Let Greg Brown initiate it as well. <laughs> You've seen Kevin Durant initiate pick and rolls. It's my favorite thing in the NBA in the past five years. But, um, you know, let let them do that. And, and all of a sudden, again, like, that's why I'm being optimistic about this Texas team. Because you just talked about five different ways that five different players, if everything breaks right, can be, can be really dangerous on both, honestly, sides of the court. But especially we're talking here, the offense. Kyle, they, they, I think, I don't know if it gets any higher percentage than an alley-oop. But <laughs> Texas, when we talk about shooting percentage, got to convert on all of those. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So moving through the the rest of the the crew, and it's not like when you say rest, and there some of the guys that we're going to name in here. Um, when you look at the second unit, Texas has um, a lot, a lot, a lot of depth and a lot of length and a lot of defense coming off the bench, which is really impressive. And I think some of these guys could potentially uh, also be scorers. You see a guy like um, Gerald Liddell or you know Kamaka Hepa, who guys who have some offense to them as well. But I think uh, when you look at the second unit, and, and as Texas, um, I mean, you, you don't play any game with just your starting five, right? So you need the, the bench and the rotation to be able to um, get the job done and, and at least um, keep things and, and keep the status quo of whatever that game is uh, when your starters come out so they can – you know, be available and ready to go for crunch time. So um, you look at guys like Kai Jones, Donovan Williams, uh, Gerald Adell, Royce Ham. Those seem to be the next kind of four guys off the bench for Texas as they as they look to build a, a solid rotation uh, that can compete not just nationally, uh, but in 
I'm just going to go and say it, probably one of, if not the toughest conferences in the country. A- absolutely the toughest conference. We'll talk about it a little bit, but I mean, they're, they're legitimately in that top number one tier. There's probably five, one or two seeds in, in this, and I'm including Texas in that, um, in, in this conference this year. There's that much talent. Baylor, probably the best team in the country without a doubt. We'll talk uh, about that in, in, a, in a bit, but um yeah, I mean, you just talked about four guys who were unbelievably athletic. If you want to talk about those Oklahoma City Thunder teams that you talked before, think about the way they used to do it when they had Dabo Cephalosha and they had uh, Serge Ibaka and just guys with length, speed, defense can can cover all the positions. There's a lot of those guys. Like, it's rangy, long. Um, they actually talked about running two units against each other in, in offense, uh, or in, in, excuse me, in offseason, in practice. And what I was most surprised about was, uh, was Shaka admitted that the point guard for that second unit was six foot eight Gerald Liddell Magic Johnson numbers for your point guard there but who actually was relatively effective as a ball handler so again these guys with with crazy like Kai Jones um, I think is is listed at, at, I think he was about 6'9 last year 6'10 is now listed at 6'11 um, he le- legitimately could play anywhere he could be the reason that Greg Brown doesn't start by the way I'm making um, projections here and predictions but Shaka basically went on a Kai Jones again this is talented sophomore Kai Jones um, who who played well last year did get hurt a little bit but um has been basically a, a PR pub tour for for how good and how much of a leap that guy has made. And so if you want to read the tea leaves, that might mean that he's in that starting five, right? Or, you know, that he's playing the same uh, amount of minutes. But just an incredibly explosive guy, a guy who had five blocks in 16 minutes uh, against Oklahoma State the first time they played them. And then when injury crisis st- struck um, and he had to play a lot of minutes and he, you know, Shaka just threw things at the wall and said, all right, go play, guys. Go win. We don't have enough to run what we run. All of a sudden it looked good and they beat Oklahoma State the second time when he scored 20 of Texas's 59 and also just for good measure got seven rebounds a block and a steal um you know so Kai Jones is a guy who could be a starter right he's a he's a he's a um 5b he's the the, the fifth and a half guy um especially with Febbers out and, and Jones slotted in that starting role first guy off the bench uh for me I think Donovan Williams is just tons of upside as much upside as any player on this team and you heard me say that right Donovan Williams is much upside maybe slightly under Greg Brown, but anyone else on this team, um, he has that type of upside. He's been streaky, so him getting it together. Um, Gerald Liddell, again, was 6'6 last year, listed now 6'8, so he's still growing. Remember that these these are these are young guys when we're talking the second unit, mostly sophomores and juniors, but, you know, they're still young kids, still growing. Um, but, but Liddell, a guy who, you know, uh, in that big win we had against Purdue when we did get ranked after it last season, he had 14 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Um, so, again, a guy who has a lot of different things he can do. So it's just really um i like the the interchangeability the total basketball to use a uh, a soccer term that they can play where they can put five guys maybe we'll talk royce ham maybe not ham but maybe three or four guys uh, on this team that could play any position guard any position on defense all do decent enough initiating the offense all do pretty good on the boards each can steal or block you know th- those those guys who have a lot of tools in the bag and then again it's just a matter of getting the rotation right getting the right uh you know compatibility between the players I think talking about this group, and I'm going to lump Will Baker in, in in this one as well, but talking about this group really solidifies how talented Texas is this year. Because Kai Jones, Gerald Liddell, and Will Baker were all top 50 players nationally. And they are they are rotation guys on this Texas team. And I think that solidifies for me how talented Texas is is and how good they can and should be this year because on a lot of schools in the nation 
all three of these guys are, are the top guy, probably. For other schools, for teams that don't have as much talent as Shaka, and unfortunately Jai Lucas have been able to bring in to the University of Texas, like those guys are starters and probably you're, you're leading them out at midnight madness at other schools. You're, and so, yeah. and, and so when we, it's hard to overstate just how talented and how effective this group can be if. If. You're right. If they play up to the level of talent, if Shaka can find the motivation button for these guys and really get them all from top to bottom, from from Matt Coleman to, to Brock Cunningham, right? If he can figure out how to get these guys to, to push the motivation button, this unit can be really, really special. Absolutely. And, and you talked about Jay Lucas. And, of course, Texas has not struggled getting good guys on on the 40 acres at all. You know, Shaka himself, one of the better recruiters. Like, you just, you know, he's good at it, right? Um we've talked about it a lot in our football previews. That doesn't always mean that you win. It certainly doesn't. Um, we just talked about some some top 50 type of players. Again, I I, I have moved Will Baker and Kameka Hepa down in my rotation. That doesn't mean that that's what Shock is doing. No one really has the answer of what that rotation is going to look like. Um, Hepa was one of the first guys off the bench for a majority of the season last year. Um, so he he could make that step up. I think really if if Will Baker and Kameka Hepa get that three-point stroke and they can be stretched bigs, um, like I think they were they were cracked out to be, then, then you know, Hepa started 10 times last year. He's vocal. We talked about not an elite defender, but he's 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 talkative. He's out there. He's he's working hard. Baker, we've seen as a five-star talent, and just you know, if he can realize some of that. Um, but but I, I think a guy we haven't talked about, but I do don't want to skip over him is Royce Ham, six-nine power forward can 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 play the five. Honestly, he came on and started the last seven games of the season again with that win streak uh, being six of those seven, um, and, and just was was a big reason why they won some of those games. You should not look that over. It was kind of a joke. He didn't play a ton of minutes when Royce Ham was out there. You, you, you know, it was garbage time one way or the other in the beginning of his career, but he stepped up, matured, grown into it to being one of the best rebounders on this team. You could even argue maybe the best pure rebounder uh, on this team. He just has good positional awareness, good boxing out, gets up and cleans the glass well, which is a really effective thing for a unit where we talked about some freaks who can get up and down, having kind of that anchor, whether it's going to be Heppel, whether it's going to be Baker, whether it's going to be Ham, what combination um, that is. And then one guy wasn't going to talk about, but hey, come on, I'm going to make my, 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 my ass. Can Brock show? Doc Brock Cunningham's kind of unanimously the 13th guy. You don't talk about the 13th guy. But, hey, Brock came out and got to play during that injury win streak, and he went back-to-back eight-point nights, eight rebounds the first night, 11 rebounds the second night. I'll take that guy off my bench any day of the week. A guy with that type of production is number number six, number seven on every other team in a really talented Big 12. So, um, And, again, he's, he's – the, th- the 13th guy on your roster was the Centex player of the year at Westlake, averaging 15, 10, and four assists. I mean, just um, a- an undersized forward, but a guy who can guard a lot. He really um, guarded. He came in and was a defensive specialist for us, holding down Desmond Bain from TCU and, and Xavier Sneed of-, of Kansas State last year um, and-, and did incredibly well uh, against them. So, um, And he's also another one. Just wanted to shout out Ed Cunningham. His dad was an All-American lineman at UT. So getting these legacies, let them see the court. We're not going to skip over any guys who have Texas in their blood. But we just talked about 13 players, and that's tough because Shaka has to think about 13 players. So, Kyle, really quickly, which is hard for us, <laughs> if there's one key to success for Texas that you have to put 
a button on because we are we are pushing our time limit on this one, and I wanna I wanna make sure we got other stuff we got to talk about tonight. What's your What's your one big key to success? Oh my gosh, Gerald! I clearly listed three in the notes, and you're gonna make me say one. So I'm not gonna talk about luck and the injuries that Shaka had and how that didn't go for him necessarily last year. I'll, I'll nix that one. I'm I, I'm not gonna talk about rotation because I really feel like I, I beat that one to death about getting the eight or nine man rotation. Even though Shaka said in the past he probably put too much emphasis as a coach on how the ninth through 11th players were doing mentally, which I think speaks to Shaka's self-awareness, right? He knows he has to get that rotation down to about eight or nine and and, and stick to it and and develop uh, some chemistry there. But um, I'm going to talk about identity, right? Texas has to establish an identity on both sides of the ball, right? Uh, Shaka Smart showed up to Texas with an identity. He, he learned that in the Big 12 against better talent, with better talent, maybe that wasn't going to work the same. Do they do they become a pressing team on defense? Do they use it situationally and throw people off? Uh, I mean, t- we just talked about a bunch of bigs, a lot of bigs. There is not another team in the country with the shot-blocking stable as deep as Texas has. Again, the guys at the bottom of that list, Will Baker, Kameka Hepa, Royce Ham, obviously Kai Jones, of course, one of the better shot-blockers in the country. Are they pressing? Are they are they being an anchor at the back and guarding? Like what what where do they find that defensive identity? And then again on offense. On offense, where is the identity? They have to play faster in my mind. They were 321st out of 353 teams in the country last year in uh in possessions per game. Ken Palm had them at about 300 in their in the adjusted tempo rating. So they one of the slowest teams in in the country last season. Um and and again, they they were able to do still be efficient the year before when they were also slow, but they had Jackson Haynes and they really had that rim running down well. Does that mean Sims steps up and they are able to do that? I don't know. Um, I think Matt Coleman struggled at getting and finishing at the rim. He needs to step up there. Uh, I talked about Ramey as well. The guys, if we're going to be that pick and roll team, our guards have to be effective at it. Um, I mean, 25% 25% of our possessions last year were pick and rolls. We have to convert and be a better pick and roll team if that's going to be our identity. Um, and uh, and the one I've, I've hinted at, but Texas posted the fourth lowest free throw rate in the country last year. They fell in love with the three-pointer, which again, you live with it, you die with it, but that can't be the entire offense. If it doesn't love you back, you can't fall in love with it too, too hard. Um, so getting to the line is easy points. I mean, even advanced metric, teams the most houston rockets of of r.i.p daryl morey's tenure there it's threes and free throws get to the rim threes and layups you know you shoot free throws you shoot things right at the rim and you shoot threes like make sure you don't forsake one or two of those key three things when you pared the offense down um and they had the lowest offensive rebound rate in the big 12 we talked about a lot of talented bigs that will not be acceptable this year so again finding that identity of a mix of all the things i just talked about on offense is an incredibly tough task can Shaka do it? And if he does, this team can be so good that Shaka leads them to a Sweet 16 or, if luck falls their way, even better and changes the entire narrative of his time on the 40 Acres. They have a lot of talent still coming back next year. They could turn that into momentum. All of a sudden, we could be talking about something different. That's that's the power of this year. And I think these are the questions that answer, can they do it? Because I'm not guaranteeing it, but they certainly they certainly can. Seven syllables, Kyle. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Like that <laughs> to me, I think is the key for for Texas. And I don't. It, it, if we see another Texas team that settles for threes, I will be frustrated. 
if we see another Texas team that doesn't capitalize on the fact that you could potentially have like a Kai Jones, uh, Greg Brown, Jericho Sims threesome on in the front court, and they're still settling for you know stretch jumpers and and bad three point looks when you just let Jericho Sims be big underneath, let Greg Brown be the athletic freak like that to me. I think really is a key for Texas. Like, will will they attack? Will they take advantage of the of the unique? I don't know if we've ever seen a combination of players that is this long, this violent, this uh, freakish, for lack of a better term, uh, on the court for Texas at one time. And so, uh, Texas is getting ready to kick off the or not kick off tip off. Got to think about basketball. Tip off <laughs> the season uh, on the 24th of November against UT Rio Grande Valley. Uh, and then they'll play at the Maui Invitational in Nashville uh, that next week. Asheville. Asheville. They don't even get to go to Nashville. Think smaller, Gerald. Asheville, which is beautiful. Maui yeah, I, and Asheville. I tried to run them together to make it sound fancier. <laughs> it's kind of like when you pronounce it Deerte. But no. Um, so... The Texas will tip off in a couple of weeks, and we'll obviously have some coverage of that as the season progresses. All right, Gerald. So we'll move it into the rest of uh, the Burnt Orange Nation here and take a look at the Burnt Orange lenses. And we're going to go back a bit to the the football well um, that we talked about uh, on our last many podcasts, but our last podcast on Tuesday. Um, some news came out this week, Gerald. We talked about our tiers in football. We had Baylor kind of towards the bottom um, when we re-ranked at our last bye week. Um, I worry that Baylor will not get another win this season. They beat Kansas. Kansas is unbelievably, unspeakably bad. We'll talk about that in our Kansas preview. Um, But then they lost Terrell Bernard, who was the heartbeat of of that defense, one of the better linebackers in the country. Kind of what I want DeMarvian Overt shown to be when I think about our own defense. Um, They lost him for the season, and they have some talent in their last four games, especially in their next two. Gerald, do you think Baylor gets another win this season? The Big 12's weird, so you never know. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Baylor has the talent, and I and I don't think that that they have the talent to run the systems that they're wanting to run currently. And so I don't, I don't think, I don't think there are many, if any, really good teams in the Big Twelve, and Baylor is absolutely not one of them. Yeah, for sure. Their last two games are Texas Tech, who is you know in that middle to bottom tier certainly, and Kansas State, who has flipped the narrative of their season since their quarterback went out, um, and, and is not particularly good right now the way they're they're playing i don't think um but i really don't think baylor gets either of those but we'll see that will something to watch speaking of that texas tech team daryl the weirdest thing i've seen it's a weird year it's covid year seen at least the last week maybe the last month short list for weirdest things in this college football season did you see matt wells game management decision down 27 to 18 against TCU. If field goals are failures, <laughs> then a second down field goal from the 20 yard line with three timeouts and 245 left on the clock uh, is an abject embarrassment. It feels like a letter of resignation. It is a resignation that you're saying, I don't think my... I'm resigned (laughs) to this game. Yeah, but also like, hey, fire me, fire me. Um, Because that's just unbelievable. I've seen people try to defend this, and and I would love someone to come on this podcast and try to in any way defend this decision to me. It's not like it's second and 28, and you're just trying to, all right, let's take the points, regroup. That way we have three timeouts. We can kick it deep. You're on your own 20, and you're moving pretty decently. Um, I don't know if there was something in his binder. 
and again, tech is not in the academic institution uh, comparability of, of the University of Texas. I get that. I don't know what Matt Wells's Mensa score is. I get that. But in his binder, was it like, oh, we crossed the two minute and 45 second mark, kick that thing? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what triggered it. I've never seen anything like it. It was the most head scratching thing. Um, I, I thought it was a joke. And then four different people like texted me about it. Didn't realize that many Longhorn fans were watching Texas tech TCU, by the way, please folks see your families. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was absolutely bewildering. We call that a window of opportunity. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Gerald, do you want to talk about a little bit of NFL? Let's, let's move it through it. All right. So, uh, start where we always do. Obviously my favorite team. That just coincidence are at the front. They have a lot of long words. The Baltimore Ravens coming away with a win this week. Um, after a, a heartbreaking loss to Pittsburgh last week, Devin DuVernay had a thigh injury. Um, I don't know if he got it in the Steelers game or in the week, but he was listed kind of as questionable, uh, all week leading up to it. Um, so of course, that means that he saw a season high in snaps. Um, he was announced like right before the game that he actually was playing. Um, he had one kick return for 23 yards. They tried to reverse to him, but it got blown up. He got negative one on that. But again, career high in snaps and had his first career game without a catch. So I don't really know what to make of that one. It's just weird. I like that he's he's really has kind of asserted himself as like their number three receiver, um, and, and he's he's getting out there more. They've played him on the outside more than I like. Some in the slot as well, but that's you, you've seen moving him to the slot is effective. Now just get him the dang ball. Lamar uh, has struggled a little bit getting the ball to his receivers this year um, compared to last year. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see if they can develop that rapport and he can be a safety valve for him. Uh, Justin Tucker, uh, one for one, 48 yards, three extra points, made a fourth quarter field goal. Gerald, I have a piece of trivia for you that is absolutely mind-blowing. Gerald, how many straight fourth quarter field goals? This is clutch, winning time. Do you think Justin Tucker, the NFL's most accurate kicker, has made? 26. You have to go back to 2015. We have listeners wow. who have graduated from college in that time and been hired and fired from jobs in that time. I mean, that is hopefully no one's been fired. I really hope not. But uh, that is that is that is a solid December 6, 2015. It's a solid five years since he has last missed 44 straight winning time fourth quarter field goal. So never, ever come at me that Justin Tucker is not the absolute goat of all time of, of NFL kickers. He just... The, unimpeachable love to see him continue to do it for my Ravens Sean Elliott had four tackles in this one as well they beat the Colts Marcus Johnson had two catches 14 yards he did have a team high seven targets looks like Philip Rivers and he aren't on the same uh line he did have two pass breakups I'm grading him out uh one of their best defensive backs and breaking up Philip Rivers interceptions Gerald give me a quick five word what do you think of your Dolphins win uh, they continue to to shock and surprise. I think Tua is the leader that they probably needed for this team to get him up and running. I give Brandon Jones the scoop and score on the fact that he sprung the the defensive end. He came from about forty yards deep and blocked an offensive lineman who uh, I think is 117 pounds when I did the math uh, and just pushed him out of the play that allowed the defensive end to run it in for a touchdown. So I'll give at least half of that touchdown to Brandon Jones, who also had three 30%. tackles. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, my favorite part of this game, though, was that never seen this before, never at all, Kyler Murray refused to shake to his hand after the game. He's still a sore little loser, and I mean all three of those words equally. Um the Cardinals, Jordan Hicks, seven tackles, one tackle for loss. Just want to do quick update. Jordan Hicks, 14th in the NFL in 
tackles. For players, he had a bye week of only played uh, eight games, though. He's sixth in tackles, fifth in solo tackles, and ninth in tackles for loss, continuing to be elite in the NFL, even though they didn't get a win against your uh, Dolphins. He looked uh, he looked good, as he always does. So uh, another team we'd like to, uh, to, to give an update on with a couple Longhorns here towards the top. Tennessee Titans were able to secure a victory. Kenny Vaccaro had six tackles in that. Did drop an interception, but Gerald, did you see the touchdown, this is right up your alley for the nerd type stuff. Did you see the Kenny Vaccaro? He was not the one who got the touchdown, but who, you know, instantly led the celebration. He admitted later that he came up with it. Did you see their their celebration? If you did, please inform the viewers because it's, it's, you know, up your nerd alley. You mean the G1 Savage, Kenny Vaccaro. <laughs> uh, the, he kind of did the loadout celebration from uh, kind of a war zone style. Amazing. Thing, but he, again. It's it's I'm terrible at shooter so but I like watching the stream. <laughs> I love it. He is legitimately a gamer in every sense of the word, both football and video. Um, the the going prone for that celebration showed the teamwork. Dante Foreman had five carries for eleven. Didn't have the yardage uh, that he he was able to get in his first game back, but he was the the, the number two back uh, after Henry Henry Derrick Henry also couldn't really get a lot going in their run game this week, but but promising that it's been years and now Foreman has consecutive games where he's getting the ball fed to him. Um, Saints were also able to get a victory. Uh, Malcolm Brown had, uh, I think he celebrated like he won a Super Bowl. He got uh, a sack in this game on former New England Patriots teammate Tom Brady, which I love to see. Malcolm Brown has been uh, more in the run game this year. He was graded by Pro Football Focus as the sixth highest rated run stop win rate for a defensive tackle. So he's uh, he's doing what we wanted him to do and what we thought he would do. Also on that defensive line, our boy Malcolm Roach, two tackles in only 17 snaps. He's getting in there, making, making use of it. Is That's exactly what you want from a rookie like Brandon Jones. Effort plays you want to see. When you get in, make something happen. Um, that defensive front held Tampa Bay to eight rushing yards. If you count their sacks of Tom Brady, negative 15. So Texas defensive lines continuing to dominate at all levels. Um, not so dominant. Chargers got a loss. Malik Jefferson didn't record a tackle, but he did have a roughing the long snapper penalty, so there's that. Uh, Denver Broncos both had P.J. Locke and Calvin Anderson playing special teams. They'd promote those people to regular teams. Maybe they wouldn't have got a loss. In the Cowboys' loss, a familiar face popped up, Gerald. We joked about it, um, that you know the, the Cowboys' season was going so bad that Garrett Gilbert might be playing quarterback, but Gilbert actually looked pretty good. He looked as good as anyone uh, this season who's laced up for the uh, the, the, the Lone Star boys. Um, 21 for 38, 243, one touchdown, one interception, three runs for 28 yards. Didn't know he had that in the bag. And I didn't realize when he got that touchdown, his first career NFL touchdown for Super Bowl champion, Carrick Gilbert. It's good to see the guy who started the Texas to SMU train finally find some success in the NFL. That's right. I think it bodes well for, for Sugar Shane Bouchelle as well. Hopefully uh, a guy we'll always root for. Um, another set, Garrett Gilbert cut by six different teams. All right, Gerald, my Longhorn of the Week, I think, and I don't really have a, uh, have a, a second, um, Chris Boyd. 11 tackles this week, one TFL one pass breakup. We talked about him being out for a long time coming back last week and picking up a little knock. He came back in, uh, almost had a pick on good deep one-on-one coverage on the first play of the game. They decided they want to pick on him. Um, Two games back, two game win streak for the 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 Vikings, who only have three on the season. So I think you pretty much point to Chris Boyd being the player. They actually mic'd him up. We're going to retweet that from the show account if you didn't see it, but he's a gem. He's entertaining. Uh, he, he, he got 
both the Minnesota Vikings social media and the Texas social media to, to tweet. He wanted the, the Madden style big head uh, pictures and videos of himself, which both accounts obviously oblige. Check those out if you haven't seen it. But Chris Boyd, my Longhorn of the Week in the NFL, looked look good. Look good. They're you know he's getting back, but look good altogether. Houston Texans uh, dub for Chuck. He got one pressure. Unfortunately, left the game with a hamstring injury. We'll see how bad that one is. Colin Johnson did not get a victory for the rookie. One catch for nine yards. Jags took the L on Monday Night Football. Adrian Phillips uh, continues to be a force in the Patriots secondary with seven tackles. 49ers lost this week, so Kyle Shanahan falls out of the winning ranks, four and five on the season going down to the the Packers. Um, and then we talked about a lot of the rest of the Longhorns are injured currently in the NFL, Okafor on the IR. Sean Asan Ridgeway out for the season, and, and Trey Hopkins, they expect to be back next week after they were on bye. And we will close it out as we do every week in this section with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Quandre Diggs, three tackles. Good enough. You know, he, he looked a little bit better last game in, in the run protection, getting downhill. Um, Want to see that aggressiveness from him. Get them, them tackle numbers up, uh, Mr. Diggs. But uh, Puna Ford had half a sack, basically cleared the space for another guy to give a sack. I'm giving him half in his two tackles. Michael Dixon wasn't asked to do much. Uh, they didn't... Uh, they took an L because they didn't punt more. That only works if it's Michael Dixon's team. But uh, one one punt, 53 yards, just doing the dang thing. So we'll wrap up. Our burn orange lens is there, and we will move to the sex. And you all love to hear us talk about the Godzilla Tron. Gerald, what are you watching on your giant screen? Uh, my wife and I are continuing to plow through Ted Lasso, and I've actually just wanted to peruse and see what else is on Apple TV+. Plus. So I fired up Mythic Quest, mm. which sounds it sounds way nerdier than it actually is. Um, it's from the guys who, who created It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's like a workplace comedy um, about a video game company. The game they make is called Mythic Quest, but it's it's your typical workplace comedy. Um, I'll say it's good, not great. Like if, if Ted Lasso is like the gold standard for Apple TV+, you know, comedies then it's probably at 60 percent of that because ted lasso is just incredible um so yeah that's that's really what i spent some time streaming this week uh the christmas movies are in full force in the gooder household because <laughs> hallmark is showing them and my wife it's the one it's the one time of year where my wife is like we're gonna watch what i want to watch dang it so the hallmark channel is on quite a bit as well I love that. And I love the background, which you kind of pick up from your spouse. For those of you who aren't married, um, you don't get to count those as shows you've watched, but sometimes you become very intimately involved with the lives of certain characters in Hallmark movies or reality TV shows. That is just the way it goes. By the way, a friend of the pod, I don't know, went to high school with us, Randall Castillo, uh, works on on Mythic Quest. I believe he's a writer for that show. Uh, Also worked on Always Sunny. So he's in that crew. Good for him. Um, Give him a little shout there. I've been watching Peaky Blinders, Gerald. I've been powering through them on the last season. I know they're coming out with a sixth. Uh, I think COVID pushed it back. Um, But I'm powering through the fifth season. Not finished yet. Not completely caught up. But I think I'm two episodes in. So I've been through some ups and some downs. Those people know how to do a dramatic season finale. They know how to leave cliffhangers. They know how to do big episodes with set pieces. Um, The show is just good and getting better. It's perfect action. um, Gangster everything show. I just really really love it but it wasn't until probably the fifth season when when um obviously um or fourth season excuse me when uh my my favorite name that i've come across so far uh abarama gold which just uh rolls off the tongue and is also obviously played uh by aiden gillian the the little finger and uh, if you're a wire fan also the uh the the candidate on on that show the political candidate who just plays 
That's right, Mr. Carcetti, mayor, and I believe he finishes at Senator Carcetti, governor, Congress something. Whatever, he keeps going up, of course, but uh, plays a good sleaze, uh, and he does it in this show as well. But I thought that was going to be my name that stuck out the most. However, Mr. Gold, Littlefinger himself, immediately arrives on scene and makes a proposition to Uncle Charlie. Uh, you see multiple times through the first four seasons of Peaky Blinders that, that uh, the main character, Shelby family, have an uncle. Mainly uh, Tom, the main character, interacts with him, Uncle Charlie. You don't hear, and maybe I missed it. Could have very much been that I missed it. But the first time that I caught it was when he showed up to Charlie's scrapyard. A, 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 a location that a lot of the... the um, important scenes take place in they have covert meetings and and they get to the canals they do all kinds of things in the scrapyard what i did not realize until this season gerald his last name is strong he is not uh a shelby his name the man who runs the scrapyard in peaky blinders is named charlie strong and i now am so regretful that i didn't watch this show earlier for texas pregamer reasons to make those jokes and or photoshop so yes folks there is a texas connection here to tie it in the the scrapyard owning uncle of the shelby family None other than Charlie Strong. I haven't seen him do a bowl and or hook him hand sign, but I'm sure it's coming as is contractually obligated by anyone named Charlie Strong. That's all we've got for you. Mercifully, <laughs> maybe this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the aforementioned Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Again, if you haven't entered to win the signed copy of Sam Acho's book, retweet that tweet, like that tweet, share that post on Facebook. We want to give you a free book, so do it. It's a great book. Uh, Sam's got a lot of cool things. If you haven't checked out the podcast again, uh, there was a special bonus episode last week. Do it. Uh, Sam had some really, really incredible things to say. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We'll be back on Tuesday day with our women's basketball preview and until next time hook them number one seed texas men's basketball hook them